call for all of us to recognise and acknowledge the fact of occupation, to rethink the received colonial settler narrative. Justice with Toowoomba. And welcome back to our first show, uh, Deadly Justice for 2020. Um, we'd just like to acknowledge um, Sarush, um, who is no longer our co-host. Um, and I just wanted to acknowledge all the really hard work and um, care and effort that Sarush has put into Deadly Justice. And I hope I can carry it through. Yeah, so so this year it'll be myself, but um, for the next few shows, my co-worker Eliana will be joining me, and um, we've had Eliana on a show previously. She was on the Welfare Card and Drug Courts show, so Eliana will be joining me for the next couple of shows as my co-host, so welcome Eliana. Thanks, Salula. Thanks for having me co-hosting the show. It's a pleasure. <laughs> So this, this show, we'll be talking about Aboriginal languages and um, the importance of things like interpreters and how languages are linked to identity and culture and um, we need to be putting more value on things like Aboriginal languages, especially considering how much Aboriginal languages have been lost and mm-hmm. been kind of mixed up. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so today we'll have Dr. Virginia Westwood who talks about her work in creating software, voice recognition software to develop apps and things where we can preserve languages and then um, use as a learning tool to relearn languages. And then we also talk to Percy Brown, who is a qualified interpreter with Aboriginal Interpreters Western Australia. Uh Yes. Yep. So we have a chat to Percy and he Mm -hmm. is a Walmajetti interpreter and and Kimberley Creole interpreter Mm -hmm in Broome and he has done work with um, people in prisons, medical situations, people involved with Mm -hmm. um, the courts and legal stuff. So we'll have good chats and yes, so Aboriginal languages obviously play a big part in people's identity Mm -hmm. and we're at a moment, you know, in time now where where value is just not placed in Aboriginal languages Mm -hmm. and we need to be making sure that we bridge gaps because miscommunication happens all the time yeah so and obviously Eliana's first language is Spanish yeah so she is bilingual and very obviously understands the difference Mm -hmm. between or the need for having an interpreter or or something that kind of bridges the gap you know like you were saying earlier uh languages you know in lots of languages there's not really an equivalent for certain things no so being able to express yourself in your own language there's language yeah. yeah, it's really important. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I guess it depends on the mastery that you have on whatever languages you speak. Uh, but I, as I was saying to Talula earlier, I feel that when it comes down to expressing my emotions, I, I feel much more comfortable speaking my first language. Or when I'm in times of distress or under a lot of pressure, my brain sort of reverts back to Spanish. And uh, I have to sort of think really hard not to let uh, Spanish words come out of my mouth. 
of my mouth. Even though we don't have to try really hard, we just have to try really hard to try and understand you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lula. That's very reassuring. Yeah, yeah, but I guess you know, as a migrant, you you feel that uh, obligation to come into a into the receptive receptive country and 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 master the language and and learn the language. But sometimes, um, yeah, you just feel the need to express yourself in in your first language and sometimes you know there are ideas that you want to communicate that form in your head in your first language as well there are lots of colloquialisms uh, slang sayings that don't necessarily have translation and in a ways you understand like different languages have different sort of understandings of of the world as well yeah when you're speaking one language you kind of are seeing the world in a completely different way yeah. to what what you see it in another language like mm. i think about you know all the kind of slang and mm. colloquialisms that come with creole and mm. walmajetti and mm. you kind of try to translate that or interpret that and you can't and you then can. you, you kind of have to acknowledge that there's two completely different yeah. points of view yeah. because the language is different yeah i think it's really interesting and and then of course you know pe people like percy who do interpreting they they bridge that gap their job is to make sure that there is an understanding between all of or you know all people all parties and um i think about like situations where that's been really like obviously needed and hasn't happened you know like there's been instances where people um have been unaware of what kind of medication they need to take mm. at what times for how long mm. And then it becomes a health issue, which yeah. actually becomes life-threatening. And that's because of a miscommunication. And you were talking about, you know, procedures. Yeah, medical procedures that people undergo and they don't really know. They, they are not explained properly why they have to undergo such procedures. And by the time the procedure has been completed, the person doesn't know why they underwent the procedure. And um, that's that's really concerning, I think. Well, also, in those situations, it's an instance where your body is involved. And if you've got no understanding of what actually is happening to your mm. body, that can be quite violating, you know? Mm. You think about what's going on here. How come I don't understand? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so it's really important. And, and, you know, obviously in Australia, our dominant language is English. Mm. But you think about traditionally, there are, there are, you know, meant to be well over 200 and something languages. And they're just not like seen as kind of like a, a local language, you know, or there's no acknowledgement that there's been traditionally a language in this area. And I just think, you know, like language is just imposed on people. Mm. Like, and like I said earlier, it's so intertwined into people's identities. When you're forcing language out of people, you're forcing chunks of that, their identity. Yeah. And that's happened um, uh, in the past when people were forced not to speak their first languages. Yeah, in the missions, you know, kids were flogged mm. for speaking language. I had a personal experience. I was working in, um, I think that was the first time in my life. And this happened recently when I was told not to speak my first language. And I was really troubled and hurt. Uh, I was working in a in a helpline in a different state, and mm. we obviously um, get calls from all over the country. And um, on a few occasions, I, I I had calls from Spanish speakers, and I, you know, I started the calls in English, and then realized that the the person who was calling was a Spanish speaker, so I started speaking Spanish, and my supervisors picked up on it. And they had concerns with that. 
they told me that I wasn't meant to speak in my first language and I my, my response was like but this is you know I'm I'm a bilingual worker if the client chooses to speak their first language I think it's an advantage to be able to communicate in their first language but now the, the response from management was that I wasn't meant uh, that I had to engage an interpreter in the call right that's so horrible because you think in those instances where there didn't have to be a barrier yet a barrier was created yeah and it's true I guess through bureaucracy because I think the response was that all the calls had to be I mean recorded and potentially the conversations that I was having had to be I guess recorded and potentially scrutinized in case something happened so if if the conversation happened in another language that was in english that was a problem but we- you can't you could argue that you could get an interpreter for the call afterwards and the thing is that getting interpreters is hard you know the, it was so frustrating to get an interpreter could take up to half an hour and yeah, you know, and by be, then, by you know, the, your clients impatient, yeah. they've got other stuff going on for them, you yeah. know. Yeah. And it, they gather all this courage to seek help. By the time they seek help, help, they get this huge barrier which is, you know, trying to get an interpreter and yeah, you know, it's and and communicating with an interpreter is it can be difficult. I have experience when I first when I first arrived in Australia, I think I, I used interpreter, interpreters a couple of times. And it, it, it's a difficult, because it's a three-way communication, and it has to happen sort of differently. Yeah, and complicated. <laughs> I have a question for you. So in an ideal world, in terms of language, what does that look like to you? Uh, in terms of sharing languages, no one would be banned from speaking their first language. So I guess in an ideal world, people would be open to learn new languages. There would be tools like like the software that uh, Dr. Westwood has been working on, the speech recognition software. There would be tools to learn new languages. You don't have to be literate to learn a new language. Because mm. Well, know. that's a big concern. Yeah. You know, people automatically assume just because you're not fluent or literate in English, then you're, you're dumb. Lots of languages are not written Written. languages. Mm. Aboriginal languages are all oral Mm. languages. Why would you put value in something that's not Well, I I guess it's imposing that that I think by having a a language written or by only recognising a language when it's written is imposing that Western view. Uh, It's sort of of an contaminates the language in a way do you know it's funny sorry it's funny that you mentioned that because I think about um, my first ever time I went overseas Mm -hmm. I stopped in Abu Dhabi and I had um, like an eight hour wait Mm -hmm. and me coming from mentality that English is the be all and end all getting really frustrated going why can't I figure out where I'm going and then it took me (laughs) like half an hour to realize like excuse me, you're in somebody else's country where they speak another language. You need to calm down. You know, not every country in the world speaks English. That's so arrogant of you to assume that there would be English written all over the place. Same deal when I went to Canada and everything was written in French. But I I guess you were able to catch yourself, you know, you were mindful enough to catch yourself doing that. A lot of people don't even notice it and just expect that um, there are 
signs in English and all that sort of thing. Yeah, well, it took me a minute and it, it, <laughs> I was like, actually, hang on, this is exactly the attitude that people have in Australia when they're thinking everybody who comes to Australia, immigrants and whatever, have to speak English and then also Aboriginal people have to speak English. And it's like, well, actually, it's not the native language of the country and we should be sharing and celebrating in the differences rather than imposing one set way. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. Anyway, um, we'll cut to a song uh, we'll be listening to. Latin America by Calle 13. Okay, so this is a um, Spanish song? No, it's a song in Quechua, which is an indigenous language in South America, Spanish and Portuguese. In the celebration of Eliana's first language, which is Spanish. So there you go. Muy buenos días a todos los amables oyentes en esta mañana de su radio Indiray. Allí ya chocale 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 Soy, soy lo que dejaron, soy toda la sobra de lo que se robaron Un pueblo escondido en la cima, mi piel es de cuero, por eso aguanta cualquier clima Soy una fábrica de humo, mano de obra campesina para tu consumo Frente de frío en el medio del verano, el amor en los tiempos del cólera, mi hermano El sol que nace y el día que muere Atardeceres, soy el desarrollo en carne viva Un discurso político sin saliva Las caras más bonitas que he conocido Soy la fotografía de un desaparecido La sangre dentro de tus venas Soy un pedazo de tierra Que vale la pena una canasta con frijoles Soy Maradona contra Inglaterra Anotándote dos goles Soy lo que sostiene mi bandera La espina dorsal del planeta en mis cordilleras Soy lo que me enseñó mi padre El que no quiere a su patria no quiere a su madre Soy América Latina Un pueblo sin pierna pero que camina Oye Tú no puedes comprar al viento Cuando me sonrío la nieve que maquilla mis montañas Tengo el sol que me seca y la lluvia que me baña Un desierto embriagado con peyote Un trago de pulque para cantar con los coyotes Todo lo que necesito Tengo a mis pulmones respirando azul clarito La altura que sofoca Soy las muelas de mi boca mascando coca El otoño con sus hojas desmayadas Los versos escritos bajo la noche estrellada Una viña repleta de uva Un cañaveral bajo el sol en Cuba Soy el mar caribe que vigila las casitas Haciendo rituales y agua bendita El viento que peina mi cabello Soy todos los santos que cuelgan de mi cuello El jugo de mi lucha no es artificial Porque el abono de mi tierra es natural Tú no puedes comprar el viento Tú no puedes comprar el sol 
aquí se comparte, lo mío es tuyo. Este pueblo no se ahoga con marullo y si se derrumba yo lo reconstruyo. Tampoco pestañeo cuando te miro para que te recuerde de mi apellido. La operación Cóndor invadiendo mi nido, perdono pero nunca olvido, oye. And welcome back to Deadly Justice. Um, we have a new guest today and we'll be talking to Dr. Virginia Westwood, who is involved in creating a sound recognition software so that we can listen to and learn Aboriginal languages um, around Australia. And she's been working in the Kimberley um, and also traveling a lot overseas and working out how other language groups overseas have been doing um, some learning um, and keeping their languages alive. So, how are you going, Virginia? Hi, Tallulah. Uh, I'm very well, thank you, especially as we just had some lovely rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, tell us a little bit about what, what you're involved in at the moment. Uh, okay, can I give you a bit of background first? Just yeah, of so, course. Yeah. So, for about uh, 25 years, I've been designing and publishing apps for learning mostly English. Um, and literacy and numeracy. But about 10 years ago, some of the Niganamop invited me up here to make a program, a software program, an app for their language, for learning their language. And in doing that, I learned an awful lot um, about many, many things. But one of them uh, is that uh, oral language or speech language, like Aboriginal languages, are very, very different from written languages when you're trying to learn them and uh, of course when you use them. So we, uh, we made the app together, um, Nigga Mob and, and me, and uh, that was uh, released in 2014. And since then I've been doing a little bit of uh, additional work and uh, working up on speech recognition, which I had been doing about 20 years ago. And then it disappeared. It went into the hands of Microsoft and Apple and Google and that lot. And they took it all from the world and they developed Siri and Cortana and Alexa and so on. And then about five years ago, they released the work back to the world again. And so everybody's doing catch up, including me. So my work is focused on the fact that Aboriginal languages are spoken languages. They're speech languages and you learn them by speaking them. And speech is just a string of sounds. It's not a whole lot of grammar and rules and spelling. It's talking, it's speech, it's just sounds. Yeah, yeah, and it's an ancient, a very ancient language and it's been passed down for, what, 60,000 years orally and so obviously that's, you know, a very effective way of, of continuing a language. Yes, it is, and unfortunately in many communities there are very few speakers left. There are some old recordings that were made, you know, when the when the Bible arrived and when then later on linguists arrived and so there have been a few recordings 
and for many communities that's all that's left of their languages and speech recognition as technology has in those places um, maybe a role to play because with technology we can bring back those voices uh, mm-hmm. to people today and we can uh, the way you learn language to speak is by speaking it and you need to be able to speak with somebody else and if there's nobody else to speak with mm-hmm. it's very hard to learn mm-hmm. so if you have a speech recognition system that will allow you to hear an actual original voice and speak and have it recognized then you've got the opportunity to start developing that conversational techniques um, that you can then use to teach and learn with other people in your community. Can you tell us uh, some of the features of this app that you developed? Uh, the the app that I've developed for Niganer, it was uh, what we call a computer-assisted language learning. Mm-hmm. So uh, it started out based very much on the, the model that we use for English. And that's English, of course, is a written language. And the model that we used was one which, while it was immersive, Mm-hmm. and what we call a whole language approach, which means that it's, it's, it is immersive and it deals with chunks of speech rather than just nouns and verbs and you mm-hmm. know different elements of, of speech that you would if you were doing a written language. Mm-hmm. It was much too much based on the written uh, format, so some, too much grammar and too much uh, of that sort of technical mm-hmm. stuff. And... Uh, not enough about the actual just speaking, speaking. And so it turned out, to, and of course it therefore relied a lot on text and therefore literacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it turned out that that really wasn't a very good model. So mm-hmm. over the time, that was one of the things I learned, was that to make a program for learning uh, a speech language requires very different approach than the approach mm-hmm. that we use for making uh, mm-hmm. programs for written languages, like Spanish or German or English or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I think of um, like the written Walmagetti language. Um, you know, you have a look through the mm. dictionary. I remember um, reading parts in the dictionary. It's not, you can access mm. it online. Mm. But looking at words and not recognising the words because how they're written are so different to how they're said. Mm. And so I'm sitting there trying to like pronounce these words mm. and then realising that it's actually a completely different word as mm. to how it's written. And that, that's very confusing for people because... And the reason for that is because because it's not a written language. Yeah. When the linguists came in, somebody made a decision and the linguist, on the whole, picks the spelling system and that will be based on their own personal background, what their first language is, what their phonetic system is, how they pronounce and how they write what they speak. So you could look at two languages like Nigana and Yaru which are closely related, they're not the same languages, but they are related, and they were described by two different linguists. And so the spelling systems for each of those languages is different. So for a start, the same word like galari, for example, uh, you will see galari round broom written about 14 different ways. Yeah, right. Um, And um, if you were to say galio, that's the word, but it's written differently. So if you see it written down, you went, oh, it's two different words. Mm, mm. And then you look at lots of words and you think, oh, they're two very different languages. And then if you've learned to, if you're the first uh, language that you learned to read in, 
mm. was English, you will look at the spelling and you will pronounce it the way English would pronounce those collections yeah. of letters. Mm. And that's why, so, sorry, sometimes because your first language is English and my first language is Spanish, so... If we look at the same sort of word, yeah, I will be functioning in my first language and I'll pronounce it. Yeah, so that's why. Mm. And that's, that's that. why learning a, a spo spoken language from mm. reading it is not an appropriate way of doing it. You have to just learn it from listening. And when we learn language, you know, if you go to another country and you are plopped in that country without knowing the language, you will just start repeating chunks of sound that you hear people say. And that, you know, gets you a loaf of bread or gets you a bus mm. ticket or whatever. You may not know what the individual words are. And words are only things that linguists say are this bit of sound makes that we call that a word. <laughs> it doesn't. It, there's no such actual thing as a word. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, Eliana and I both speak, you know, I, I speak Creole and I speak mm. not very well, what am I getting, but a mm. bit of. And Eliana speaks Spanish as her mm. first language. So, yeah, as she was saying, it's always really different. You know, if Eliana was to give me a, something written in Spanish, there was no way that I would be able to kind of work out mm. what that means. But if Eliana says something maybe in a bit of Spanish, I'm, I can kind of pick that up more yes. than it would be yeah. if I could, if yeah. I was reading it. That's yeah. right. Yes. And it's interesting because the way that you are um, suggesting these oral languages are learned is the way we learn our first language that's right yeah yeah because when when i learned english it was i learned it a little bit older i was 15 mm. and i it was grammar based i didn't come to the speaking late and it's a very different way of of learning it, it is and yeah. it, and it can be useful for learning aboriginal languages if you have a high uh, level of education and knowledge of the language if your the language that you do speak first Uh, have learned first. So if uh, you go to school and do uh, English in school and you learn about English grammar, then it's easier to pick up another language and you, the grammar approach can be very helpful. Mm. But if you don't have that background, it's pointless. Mm. You know? and, and if it's your own language that you're trying to learn that way, it's totally, totally alienating for people. Mm. You know, you don't know what what the language is they're talking about, the, using the English words to talk mm. about your language, um, yeah. and you're not getting how it sounds. So, so what I've been working on is trying to develop ways to actually uh, do learning products and learning resources. And as we know, as you know, you can't learn a language from a dictionary. You can't learn any language from a dictionary. Nobody can learn a language from a dictionary. <laughs> you can learn some words. You may or may not learn how to pronounce them. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you can't learn to speak. Mm. And that's mm. very different. And that's what a language is about. And if languages are going to continue, they have to continue to be spoken. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, they change as you speak them. Every language. If it doesn't change, it's not alive. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, that the mm -hmm. development of Creole in recent mm. years, you know, that's, that's a, a mix of, of lots of different you know, languages and now is recognized as a language itself. That, that's right. And I think of, you know, examples of like I've been to the US and when we were in the US, we had, um, you know, so we met some some Spanish speakers and um, we were increasingly using things like Google Translate with the mm. the voice so that we knew mm. how to pronounce yes. rather than looking up the word and trying to pronounce it on mm. from reading it. Mm. We're using the actual pronunciation, mm. voice right. recognition. 
<laughs> the thing about um, the voice recognition that you get on Google, um, mm. and and of course there are lots of other apps for speaking, um, you know, commercial apps for mm. speaking, learning to speak Spanish and German and French mm. and Russian and whatever. Um, to develop those systems requires an enormous amount of recorded material. Yeah, you yeah. actually have to have hundreds and hundreds of hours mm. of recordings made by hundreds of different people with different voices and different accents and different, you mm. know, uh, uh, speaking styles to actually create the models that are used in the background of those systems. And that's one reason why there are no speech recognition systems for small languages like uh, any of the Australian Aboriginal languages mm-hmm. or nearly all the other Indigenous languages around the world, of which mm. there are thousands, mm. yeah. uh, all disappearing at an alarming rate. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of work going on around the world, but in a very, very small way and not in a very um, successful way so far. So what I'm doing now is uh, I have been um, lucky enough to mm. get a Churchill Fellowship, mm-hmm. which is a travelling grant, and that's mm. going to pay for me to travel mm-hmm. to some of these centres overseas mm-hmm. where people are working on aspects of speech recognition, and not all of them are working on small languages, but, but most of them are, but different aspects because what I'm trying to do is to, in thinking about speech recognition systems, that the engineering part of it, in a very different way to the way people are thinking about it for big languages and people are thinking about it for small languages that the, but the development work that they are doing is mostly based on like automatic translation systems and, and mm-hmm. tra- things like that, transcription systems, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all text-based systems. Mm-hmm. So actually trying to, to pull bits of information from lots mm-hmm. of different areas mm-hmm. to build, put together and build a system that works for small languages where we haven't got much data and haven't got much recording material. And that might be, you know, because a lot of Aboriginal languages uh, in Australia have a similar sound system. You know, they they, have, they use the same sounds mm. and not the same words or the same, mm. you know, anything else. We can take models of the sounds and models of parts of words mm. and make a much bigger database, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. much bigger base of information that we can build the models mm. on um, so yeah sorry y- you go uh, can you tell us a little bit about that process of collecting uh, the speech recordings mm. how have you gonna about uh, yeah uh, we doing uh, it cu- currently w- uh, working up here in the Kimberley there are people with uh, communities who do have fluent speakers and I'm um, mm-hmm. collecting material from them um, in a lot of cases, we will want to use some historical material. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, of course, in many cases where um, people were recorded in communities, the the uh, recordings have gone to universities, to archives, mm-hmm. to Canberra, to all sorts of places. Mm-hmm. So there's some work to be done in gathering that when we when we get to a wider scale. But first of all, we've got to get this system working with as little uh, recording as possible. Mm. Um, so I do I do recording in my own mm-hmm. um, home, <laughs> which is where I work, um, and uh, out in the country, out on country, mm-hmm. um, we would go fishing or something, and mm-hmm. I do recording, or we just go camping or doing something, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the way we gather the recordings. Um, 
but it's what 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 is really important is also the process in working with those recordings. Mm-hmm. Just the process of working with recordings gives people a huge lift in their self-worth and their sense of identity. Just working with those languages gives people a great boost in terms of their self-worth and their self-identity, who they are, their, their pride in themselves and their language, um, even if they don't end up learning to speak the language. Mm-hmm. Just working with it and with others speaking mm-hmm. it um, is a really big mm-hmm. thing. Good thing. Another segue there. Yeah, so I, I just wanted to talk about, you know, the connection between um, identity and languages. Using your technology, is there any possibility of reviving languages that are, that are considered to have been lost, you know? Mm. Um, hopefully, if, it, if I can get this working, and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's not a given yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've, I've got to try and make it work. If I can get this working... I think it would be a really useful tool and a help for people where where there's no speakers left for them to listen to, that but where we can get some recordings and we can actually build the system so people can learn to speak the way it's spoken, the mm. language is spoken. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, big uh, elements of learning uh, reviving languages mm. is that it needs to be initiated, it needs to be started and it needs to be managed and run by the language communities themselves. In many, you know, in some cases that's working really well and um, there are now quite a lot of communities and Yarrow is one of them uh, where they have started up their own immersion classes, mm-hmm. um, okay, where they managed a, a way, they got some funding and they were able to have people spend three hours a day just doing language, you know, and, and you need to be doing that three, three or four times a week mm where you cannot use anything but the language, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. That's a full immersion system. Mm-hmm. Um, but that has got to be, you know, nobody else can do it for, for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, a community has has got to uh, have the resources and the time and all the things that have to come together for, for people to be able to get in that situation where they have the time, the resources, the money, the mm-hmm. whatever, to be able to sit down and teach themselves, mm-hmm. okay, and practice themselves. Mm-hmm. This sort of a tool would mm-hmm. be really, really useful uh, to help people in that situation. But it's mm-hmm. not going to, it's no magic, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, answer. Um, it's up to communities to get to the point where they um, understand and, and realise how important language is. It, mm-hmm. It's something that uh, in the West is... is um, very well known and you know it's, it's well known in, in men, to many communities and people who've experienced it of course um, it's not just the West that knows but, but you know it's the West <laughs> telling everybody um, that language is incredibly important to anybody's well-being and their cult, mm. their identity mm. you know my identity um, you know I, I know who I am because I it's reinforced all the time I hear my language all the time around me I see uh, my language, I, I um, you know, it, it's embedded in the language, is my cultural background and lots of other information. And, and there are other people speaking it, so I belong. I know I belong, I know who I am, I know where I am. If you hear your language and you can speak your language, then that gives you an enormous sense of who you are and pride in yourself and your community and your culture. Mm, yeah. And 
And that in itself uh, is known. I mean, it's well um, evidenced that that has a, you know, is a fundamental basis of well-being for people. Mm. And if people are feeling good about themselves, you know, as um, the uh, Nungaburu languages would say, you know, you've got good lian um, around here, you know, that helps you stay out of the justice, the, the, the wrong side of the justice system. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. That's good for people. That that helps people. It's prevention for mm. all sorts of things that are going on in society today. Um, and, you know, English speakers, you know, Anglo background people are very lucky to have it here, you know, and, and uh, you know, when you're amongst Spanish speakers, you mm. probably feel a lot more comfortable and a lot more like, like you belong. Do you with that? Yeah, I guess. Mm. <laughs> I think. How, how do you think your language um, affects uh, a part of who you are? Um, I guess expressing emotions is is my default sort of language. So if I'm under a lot of stress or in a really difficult situation, that's when my first language. Um, okay. So comes if, in. if if for example you were in a courtroom. And you had to try and yeah. explain, uh, you yeah. know, what you were doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You'd much rather be doing it in your first language, wouldn't you? Look, at this stage, <laughs> I'm probably sort of, I guess, proficient in, yeah, in both languages. But yeah, I think the, in those sort of situations when you are under a lot of pressure, yeah, that that first that first language kicks in, and and yeah, I'll probably feel more comfortable, mm. I guess, um, expressing myself mm. in my first language. And, and does it give you a sense of pride or, you know, belonging or cultural, you know, you, you know? Yeah, it's, it's part, it's definitely part of my identity. I, I yeah. think... How do you feel about that, Tulu? Well, yeah. I just think, you know, on numerous occasions, Eliana said something to me. I've been in, you know, a situation or whatever, and Eliana said to me, oh, we have a word for this in Spanish. Um, and that kind of describes what's happening mm-hmm. for you or, or how you're feeling or, or mm-hmm. what's going on. And I just think, you know, the differences in languages, there's, there's on many occasions, there's not an equivalent. So mm-hmm. it makes it so important that these languages stay alive and stay like, you know, a part of people's identities because wh- however you express yourself in one way can't be replicated yeah. in a different way so it's important to understand and it's also different like when when i say that sort of thing to you i think it's new perspectives it it, it provides new perspectives on how to see the world uh alternatives and i perhaps if we are only speaking on in one language we is quite sort of narrow mm. the perspectives narrow down uh mm. whereas when we have many languages we have many ways of seeing the world and yeah I think that's refreshing and um, yeah yeah I think so too and in the other part of this show we we have an interpreter come in and, and we talk about um, like the importance of having interpreters in in cases such as you know the legal system and in health situations as well um, so yeah I think it's so important that that people are a bridge to to understand like creating a mutual understanding because you have so many situations where things go wrong mm. and people you know are are confused they don't understand um so yeah being and that that then again is, um has an effect on your well-being because mm. you know you go to a um 
a situation um, where you go to the doctor and, and you're not quite understanding what's being told to you mm. and then that fully affects your health and your mm-hmm. well-being mm. because maybe you, you're being told that you've got to take tablet this time and this mm. day and da, 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 and you don't quite understand or, or whatever mm. or what a diagnosis means. That affects your well-being. That affects yes. your health. Yes. You know? effect. Yeah. So yeah. If, you've got, if you've got a bridge between mm. that mm. to ensure mutual understanding, mm. things like that doesn't, that mm. doesn't happen, you yeah. know? And and if there was a way, if if people wanted it, for doctors and and um, p- p- judicial um, uh, staff to learn the languages mm. uh, of the people that they're mm. dealing with, mm. you know, mm. that would be a huge thing because mm. they would learn not just language, of course, mm. because language encompasses culture and ways of being and ways of seeing the world and philosophies and all that sort of thing, that they would learn a different way of seeing. As well yeah. as just okay. a different language. Yeah. But that's that's where I, that's way off in the future. <laughs> and I guess the other thing that I was going to say uh, regarding uh, oral languages is that uh, with written languages, we have a big sort of bank of, like, big bodies of literature we can access because it's everything in the books. But I think, uh, you know, uh, re- reviving languages or ensuring the longevity of languages opens up the possibility of accessing that body of, you know, oral history mm. that, you know, is uh, might not be accessible otherwise, I guess. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I totally might have something to say. No, I was just thinking of um, things like hieroglyphs and how, how, you know, after thousands of years later we're able to look at those hieroglyphs and... Um, work out some kind of translation mm. to that but mm. it's so much more difficult with oral languages and that's why it's so important to keep um, you have to keep speaking them to mm. keep the the whole information system running. yeah yes yeah. yeah can you think of any practical uh, applications of um, of uh, this software that you have developed uh, any settings where it could be used uh, well, apart from you know the the basic learning yeah. uh, situation, um, which I see as a, a sort of a whole a holistic, you know, a whole world prevention system for people um, mm. getting into um, all sorts of bother about you know things that worry them. <laughs> um, but if we're talking about in the judicial system, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if if we had uh, language learning in in prisons, you know, th- things to do in in prisons, you know, there. Are, uh, if if that uh, would take a huge amount of resources because we'd have to find people to be able, it's hard enough finding people to be able to teach other people languages anyway, mm-hmm. um, Aboriginal languages. But uh, if we could. Uh, Put some of that in prison. I mean, you've got a fairly captive audience there, and um, <laughs> you know, if, if people wanted to do it, uh, you know, it would be a great thing to mm. be doing. Um, yeah, and then uh, gives opportunities for you know outside of prison. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. It's a you know good career path for all sorts of uh, mm. things, um, and gives people again more perspectives. Mm. It gives people communication and connection mm. with other people. Mm. Connection mm. is something that people mm. miss out on when, mm. you know, you lose language and, mm. uh, yeah, yeah, that would mm. be great. Awesome. Really looking yeah. forward to it. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> All right. We are just going to take a little break and we're going to listen to a song. We will be listening to Medigen by Baker Boy. <laughs> Me 
Music is the mitigen. These beats got us out of control. Dance around like you never get old. Breaking and popping on my boys, pop locking. Got us feeling like we out of this world. Eat your mask, get the young one, battle like a going on. Go, go, Moriana, to Moriana. Go for me, use the mother, leave it. Could you mark only meeting the price? Go, go hard, never lay back, lay back. You got neck brace, no problem. You got two left feet, can't catch that beat. Take a deep breath, 'cause I got this, yo. Vision and I'm down to ride. Where the beat drop, there me you'll find. And we still in the city, but the crowd gone wild. Ooh, yeah, keep it banging through the system. Light it up, start it up like an engine. Bars on lock, put the music freedom. And the booty drum go put up a bump bump. Hey, okay, yeah, come. I give you some, some, some of this, make it jump. Do it just to do it, and I do it till it's done. Connect with the sound, people over income. That's team, that's squad, get the picture. That's us, that's mob. If you with us, just be. Yeah, the queen is in the building. You better come correct if you're knocking at the kingdom. Welcome back to Deadly Justice. Uh, we have another guest with us today. Today we'll be talking to Percy Brown, who is an interpreter with the Aboriginal Interpreting um, Western Australia. Um, he has been an interpreter for a few years now, and he's interpreted for people in prisons, in um, medical situations, and in courts in Broome. So how are you going? Not bad. So Percy, you've you've been doing interpreting for a long time. What do you enjoy about interpreting? Uh, about interpreting to get uh, both uh, culture to, to understand each other. Um. So in the situations that you're interpreting, um, you're interpreting in prisons and in medical situations. What what kind of things? What kind of situations do you find yourself in? Sometimes it's hard. It, it's Especially with them, uh, in-law or something, you know, like mother-in-law. In a cultural way, you mustn't talk to her. Yeah. 
So y- um, what what you're <coughs> saying is it's always really difficult to mm. do your job and then also take in mind, you know, cultural obligations and things like that. Yeah. So you've been interpreting in Broom for a while. Um, what what languages do you interpret? One of the Kimberley Creole. And Kimberley Creole, that's really widely spoken? Yes. So Kimberley Creole has only kind of come up recently, hey? It's only yeah. a new thing, language. Yes, I think from late 70s, I think. But the time all people still had it. Like the old words, like me and Javi and all that, and she or Bombay and all that old words. Yeah. What ki- What's probably the most difficult part of being an interpreter? It's really when you're dealing with somebody that you don't know, you know, from from the other tribe. Um, it could be uh, that, that person, you from the other side, you know. So, and it's difficult to be able to get kind of information mm. from people that culturally you're not meant to be. Yeah, you got to get somebody like from from that that group to interpret, like a grandmother or grandfather and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's good to educate, uh, especially the young ones, to give one doing this and doing a cultural way, practicing every time, mm. learning all the stories and, and everything about all people, even bush and hunting and everything. Yeah. So if somebody needs an interpreter, how do we access an interpreter or how do we get in touch with, you know, you or somebody, you know, who does interpreting? Well, we got a... Uh, Oh, I was in Fremantle there. It's called uh, Aboriginal Interpreting WA. Yeah, somebody, if they need interpreter, they ring that office and that office ring us there. Yeah. Do, do you do interpreting over the phone? Yeah, I used to, but not this time. Uh, sometimes I do a um, video link. Oh, yeah, yeah. Could you tell us what, what do you think's the best part about interpreting? And what do you think is um, like the best way to make sure that things like interpreting continue in the future? It's a good thing to get young people, get them trained, and we need more interpreters, especially in the old people home, you know? like Novel and Brand New Day, and the Wall Street God. Mm. And that's a way of keeping, you know, language and culture alive. That's an important thing. Yeah. It it gives people an identity. We were saying earlier with an interview we did with Dr. Virginia Westwood mm. about how, um, you know, language and culture keeps people feeling like their identity, you know, is still, you know, that ha- that helps people who've, who've been displaced to connect back to their culture. Yeah, especially for, uh, I think we need more money for for language centre and... Hmm. So, um, what do you have to do to get accredited and to get qualified? Uh, certificate, I think. You got you to do it, and it's very hard to do it. Especially the legal things, you know. Mm. It, it was easy for me because I used to work in some Aboriginal organisations and, and even being in prison and, you know, learning them things, you know. Yeah. While I was in Notre uh, Dame University studying, especially in female prison, I was studying there. My lonely course back in 1980. So you've been an interpreter, you know, a long time. Yeah, uh, I first interpreted when I was in qualified. I did uh, first in the Arts and the Infirmary Prison, old Jimmy Pike in the Arts and the Infirmary Prison. I did first 45 paintings we interpreted. Wow. Mm. Um, so there are interpreters for other languages, you know, in Broome. Well, if, yeah, if you don't speak one Yeti. Yeah, I speak the, the normal way. Now we talk outside, anyway, in the street, there, talk Creole, Kim, I just 
I just call it Gimli Creole. Mm. And more Creole is, I think, everyone when we meet it as a, from some other country, you know, like from Bilbo, I think, from Anti, from anyway, mm. we still talk Creole. Yeah. But we got, in every community, we got some different Creoles, you know. Yeah. Some young people are the young ones, like, hey, boy. Hey, Luxy, hey, girl, and all them. <laughs> yeah, hey, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Main thing I'm looking at is get uh, language center and in traveling more. Uh, hey, wow, something, whatever they call it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that thing, to work together. Yeah. I think but that's a, in, you know, consultation with each other, you know? Mm. Yeah. And even with Kimberly Land Council. Kimberley Land Council, Kimberley Aboriginal Law and College and, and Language Centre and, you know, work together. And Percy, you told me on another occasion that you've been overseas for, you know, writing stories and interpreting and all kinds of stuff. And you said something really, you know, it's kind of stuck with me for a while. You said Aboriginal people are like a cork in water. A cork in the ocean. Cork in the ocean, yeah. It's floating around. Floating around. How is it important to make sure that Aboriginal people aren't corks in the ocean? We still are, I think. Because of change of government. And every time they change another government, the government going to put that another name on. Like we used to be, when they first started, arrival of white men to Australia, we had that black. And from there, put us native. And, and from there, Aboriginal. And now we all are indigenous. And you were also involved in the Ngurra Canvas, am I right? Yes. So you travelled overseas for that stuff as well. Mm. And in terms of telling a story and language, and it's important for us to have our story known, you know, all over the world. And being an interpreter is part of getting Aboriginal people for story all over the world, you know? Yeah. That's really young people working with old people. That's, mm. what, that's what I said, and every time I say that, because... The Mandibologists, they got all people. Ulu, mm, marble. Yes, yes, yeah. mum. <laughs> all the mm people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you are right, somebody said. Yeah. You are right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we need young people in, in travelers. Sometimes um, non Aboriginal, them got here, they, they change the story around. You know what all people say, especially when they're running, are writing, uh, that person run, writing the submission to the government for their community or something, they change the stories around. Mm. But so interpreters like you are important to make sure that everything mm. goes how it's supposed to be said rather than mm. how it's come from another side, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you can change it. You stick to the same story, but it was said by that person who, was in, who you interviewed or whatever. And like you were saying earlier, going back to, to what you said about, you know, it's difficult when you're interpreting for people that you can't really talk about mm. or talk to, is that that's a really difficult thing as well? How do you work through situations where you 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 know you have cultural obligations, but then you have a professional thing that you have to you know um, uphold as well? How do you work through situations like that? Yeah, uh, even mother-in-law, you know. Yeah, you you get somebody else from that group to do it. Some woman and all woman thing. Woman got to do interpreting. Yeah, especially with you know. When you take them people to the hospital, when they're getting very sick and ready to pass away or something, can I give them a couple of months to live or something? That makes me feel no good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
has an effect on how you feel as well. Mm. Yeah, that's a difficult thing, you know, wanting to help your people but then getting bad news and feeling, you know, no good that but you still have to do your job. Mm. And you know the family like me. Yeah, it's really <coughs> sad, you know. We've had situations um, you know, where you have to deliver bad news and you have to do it via an interpreter and and you kind of don't think about how it affects the interpreter as well mm. and also because interpreters are most likely related to the people involved then they're affected by the the situation as well it's a difficult task you know and then you kind of think about because language groups are so small obviously there's such limited um interpreters you know so it's really important that we keep interpreting you know alive and and um I, and you know you think about how many employment opportunities come mm. with with interpreting and that kind of stuff um, Lo- local yeah. to employ locals as well what main thing we need is we need money to do that to pay the teachers for teaching you know? mm it's really our people keeping our language alive and our culture away and we push like push marriage and everything you know i did say uh we need new uh, young leaders our young leaders to come and sit down with all people and listen to what all people are saying and not to ignore all people and listen to them and get all stories from all people because young people are one and their children and their children and more and more they'll be taking over will be finish all people see yeah the, the young people get their parents to teach them educate their parents to educate their children and take them out of the bush and to the cultural things whatever you know? yeah it's so important And this is what we promote on this show is you know how important and putting value back on identity and culture and you know this show in particular language so yeah so thank you so much for being a guest um we really appreciate coming along and having a chat with us and really um you know awesome the work that you're doing as an interpreter so thank you very much and if you're in need of an interpreter in the future please contact um Aboriginal Interpreting Western Australia and they'll get you in contact with a an interpreter yeah so thank you for that thank you thanks for listening to the show uh please tune in in the next two weeks we'll be coming back with another episode of Deadly Justice <laughs>